Welcome in. Brand new Tuesday scramble for this week's Charles Schwab Challenge. It is May 24th, 2022. I'm Rick Gaiman. That right there, Sia Najad. Sia filling in for Andy today. Uh, much appreciate you hopping on and chatting with me. Rick, big shoes to fill. Andy's awesome. You're awesome. This show is awesome. I'm super happy to be here. Can't wait to get started. Yeah, Andy had uh, Andy is very good. He told me like six weeks ago that he had a commitment this day, and then uh, I forgot about it for five and a half weeks. And then I said, "Oh crap! Let me let me see who I can find." Uh, first text, see a Najad. He responds three seconds, and we are locked and loaded. It was the easiest booking I've ever done. I mean, uh, <laughs> bells and alarms go off when you text me, Rick. It was it was like the bat signal. I, it was as if I knew it before it happened, but no, I, I appreciate you having me on. All right. So we're going to spend the next uh, amount of time on kind of the field for this week. We'll talk through props. We'll go through head to head matchups. We've got one and done selections. I do have Andy's one and done selection locked in. So we'll get to that later in the show. We are indeed presented by prize picks. So there is a link in the description. You can sign up, get your uh, $100 instant deposit bonus. You can use the code Rick and we are going to have four props coming later in in the show, but I've got a debrief on this uh, PGA championship. Sia, what Justin Thomas did coming from seven shots behind um, to, to kind of, I don't want to say steal the PGA championship, but at some point it kind of felt that way. <laughs> you know, what's funny a um, little personal note here. I was so close to posting something on Twitter about how right I was about the wave stacks. And, and to, to a degree, I, I suppose I was. But because I had those wave stacks, I had Zalatoris, I had Mito, I had really all the guys that were contending on Sunday early afternoon. I'm so glad I didn't make that Twitter post because JT, who's on the wrong wave, Matt Fitzpatrick, yeah. who's on the wrong wave, just kind of storm through and take over the place. I genuinely, I genuinely, even looking back now, cannot believe that in the middle of Mito's round, he's nine under, and that Justin Thomas is one under, and that somehow one of those guys passed the other. It, it like literally doesn't make sense to me, especially when you consider all the guys like Cameron Young and Will Zalatoris who were in front of Justin Thomas and who had been playing well for three full days. It's staggering, and it's really kind of the mark of a champion. When, when you can do that as Justin Thomas, it really kind of tells me something about kind of who you are. And what you're made of on Sunday, even if you think you're out of it. Uh, yeah. And then realizing he's in the moment and, and just kind of taking it. He had that look about him. Um, I'm glad you brought up the, the wave stuff because it ended up being a little less than two strokes different. And it, it, I still don't think it played out how a lot of people thought it was going to play out because – if, if the wind, so it, we were expecting on Friday afternoon that the wind would just get like five miles an hour lighter or like seven miles an hour lighter, it completely flipped off. And then those guys went nuts for nine holes mm -hmm. and flipped the wave. But then, like you mentioned, basically two guys that were in the optimal lineup and the guy who won the golf tournament uh, came from the wrong wave. This is just, this is so hard to do. You know, yeah. golf is so weird. It is so random. There are a million factors that we do not control. And you and I sit here every week and try to figure it out. And that's the thing. I, you know, I went literally, I went all in on the wave stack and, and I feel sort of validated by how it turned out. It just so happens that, you know, two guys who ended up, you know, near the top five, or actually Fitzpatrick was in the top five, they just didn't care. And we know that about them, right? We know Matt Fitzpatrick is good in the weather and in tough conditions. And we've seen Justin Thomas, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it was, it was at the players where 
he was in the wrong wave too and just kind of dominated on day two. So mm -hmm. it's just one of those things. But like at the same time, going back, if I had known that the wave stack, whatever, the wave advantage was going to play out like it did, which, which is what I thought it was going to be, I still wouldn't select Justin Thomas and Matt Fitzpatrick because I have a built-in edge there. So it's just one of those things. That's how good those guys played. They were able to overcome uh, really tough breaks when it comes to the weather. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's bizarre. Looking at some of the guys that were in the heat of the battle last week, and I'm referring mostly to Mito Pereira, Will Zalatoris, Justin Thomas, they are all in the field this week. It's 250 miles from Tulsa to Fort Worth, so it's not a travel issue, but um, level of confidence going back to some of these guys for one more go-around. Yeah, so we talked about this a little bit on our DFS show uh, yesterday on the first cut. I don't have a super high level of confidence, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to play them. I think the one that I have more confidence in, and I think this is going to be a surprise to most people, is Justin Thomas. Mm -hmm. um, I just thought the way that things unfolded for him, I don't think he really had the pressure that that Mito and Zalatoris did throughout that Sunday. I don't think Justin Thomas really thought he was going to win the tournament. I think he thought, let me just get a strong finish in here. I'm playing really well. And long story short, he just sort of like ended up in a playoff because the field came back to him. So, yeah, I mean, I understand what we talked about earlier, like the media obligations and just just the, the notion of winning and how that might affect you going into the next week. But I just don't know that that would affect a guy like JT as much as it might somebody else. Part of me thinks these guys are just professionals and they're all so good. And uh, Mito might be looking at it as a chance to not be thinking about the PGA championship, just like go out and play golf and, and get a clean start. And Zal Torres played great. He should be garnering a lot of confidence. And JT, listen, when you've won, what, I don't know, 14 times now, something like that on the PGA tour, doing some media obligations on Sunday night, maybe it's not that big of a deal. Maybe these guys are just going to continue to rock and roll. Yeah, I, you know, what's interesting about Zalatoris, though, his his accuracy was really off on Sunday, almost throughout the, his 18. And I, I wonder, I mean, obviously, that just could have been pressure and, and, and whatnot. But it does, do we see a little bit, I mean, we, we know what we saw from Mito on 18. I mean, I, I'm not super worried about that. I, I don't really know what happened there. I think that was just a tough moment for him. But as far as Zalatoris is concerned, I wonder if some of that filters or spills over to you know day one or day two of this tournament um but i am a little nervous to play both of them in fact if i was going to fade one of the two it would be zalatoris over mito in terms of fading somebody i'm glad you mentioned that because we're going to talk about it in the prop segment because i think if there is a bit of a hangover you'll notice it early you'll notice it in round one uh over 72 holes i think that it starts to figure itself out, but I think there might be an edge or two early. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, and uh, oh, sorry, Sia, I'm so used to saying Andy. Sia, uh, we have to talk about this Charles Schwab challenge field, which is impressively deep. We are going to do that, but first we're going to take a quick 30 seconds. I've recently started using Juice Reel as a way to track all my bets in real time. Since I can sync the app to all my sports books, I don't miss any wager and I've learned a ton more about my betting habits. There are built-in line shopping features, so I know that I'm always getting the best lines available, and once the game starts, I can see the value of my bets fluctuate in real time with the scoring so that I always have an understanding of my expected value. The performance analytics have made me much more knowledgeable about the bets that I have the most success at, hint, top tens, and there's no going back for me. Download the Juice Reel app with the link in the description. 
All right, see, ya. we are rocking and rolling to Fort Worth. We mentioned it's it's close, and I mean, look at this field: JT, Scotty Scheffler, Victor Hovland, Colin Morikawa, Will Zalatoris. I mean, it is it is fairly stacked at the top. I think we are now getting to the point where these golfers are so good at their routine and it's not like the normal, well, I'm just going to take the the week off before a major champion. These guys play a lot more. It feels like. Yeah, they do. They do. And, and I, I wonder, you know, why is that Rick? It, it, do you think that's just because, you know, they're chasing the FedEx cup title. We got, we got a big pot of gold at the end because I'm surprised by this, to be honest with you. I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if you had a few headliners. But to have all of these guys, this field, it, obviously, it's not as deep as the PGA Championship, but it kind of feels like it is when you when you look at like the first, you know, seven or eight names here. I do think that they say, wow, oh, there's another eight and a half million dollars on the line this week and mm -hmm. I can win my share of it. I, I like playing golf. You know, I was probably going to play golf this week anyway. I might as well do it in competition. I just think that they are so much more in tune with recovery. And they're so much more in tune with what you said, like that that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, the FedEx Cup, which is getting jacked up year in and year out. It's a huge incentive. And we started seeing that when guys started playing in the fall. Remember, there was a time where none of the studs played until January, until mm -hmm. the tournament champions. And then they would start there and they'd be like, man, I'm already 1,500 points behind or I've already missed out on a quarter of the schedule, I should start playing those events. And I just think you're seeing it get more and more competitive. Because if you think about it, in an ideal world, like, like 50 years from now, Sia, if these guys can figure it out, they should never take a week off, right? If they could yeah. optimize their performance to play at a high level 48 times a year, they should do that. Um, yeah. And maybe it's maybe it's technology and recovery and advancement in, in health stuff, but like that would be the end goal. Yeah, and I think you made a really good point. And and I don't know the details behind who who are on sort of people's staff, but I do know that people we, we know a lot of people are sort of taking their bodies differently across all sports, and golf should be no different. So in terms of treatment and rest and what you're putting into your body and in the amount of exercise you're doing, granted, not every golfer, I mean we can tell by looking at some of these guys that, that they're not necessarily like hitting the gym or minding what's what's what they're eating, but I think a lot of them are. And I think that's a big difference why you're seeing a lot of players because they trust their bodies now because of how they're being take of, taken care of by the people that are around them. Yeah, and you look at the top of the board here. So so JT obviously back in action. Scotty Scheffler coming off of a miscut. Jordan Spieth who has crushed at Colonial. Colin Morikawa. I mean, it's it's absolutely awesome. There There is a kind of a clear gap to me. And I think it's maybe after... Sam Burns. So there's like a top eight or nine in this field. And then you get into the Billy Horschel's, Kevin Nas, Jason Kokrax of the world. Mm -hmm. But when you combine the top heaviness of this board, plus the great course history, the fact that we've played here every year for 75 years, it, it, it creates a situation where so many guys are live and so many guys are interesting, even mm -hmm. like a Ryan Palmer. It's like, well, Ryan Palmer's a member here. Or it's like, you know, uh, Gary Woodland. Well, Gary Woodland's got two top 15 finishes here. Like, you could make a case, I feel like, this week for so many different golfers. Yeah, and add to the fact that unlike the PGA Championship, I mean, I don't know that length was super important at the PGA Championship, but it's certainly not important here. I mean, this is definitely a positional golf course. So, you know, for, like, forgetting about the history, that sort of brings almost the whole field into it 
in and of itself. But then to your point, you've got a lot of guys that are maybe kind of in that lower rung that have really good history here or might just grade out well. It's going to be – and I think that's why that if you – especially in DraftKings, if you really like somebody, I think it's really important to kind of stick with that and not get – group thought into hey you know everybody's talking about this guy let me take him i think this is a really good tournament to pivot because there are so many guys in play that have upside especially in that seven and eight k range so if everybody's on i don't know just i'll name somebody like taylor gooch for example or webb simpson or, or tommy fleetwood listen i like tommy fleetwood a lot too we'll talk about him a little bit later in this show but I'm if he's going to be, you know, 16 percent or something like that, I'm happy to go to a seven or eight percent guy and take my chances. Uh, speaking of Webb Simpson, there was a question from Mark about Webb Simpson. He says, is it possible that Webb Simpson is back after a long neck injury played well enough last week for a T20 finish? So just to kind of get everybody up to speed on Webb, he took that time off from. I'll look it up here, but he took like a month or two off. And this, and this neck injury goes back to, to like last year. Remember he withdrew from yep. the Wells Fargo championship. And you're like, Holy crap. That's like in his backyard. Like that's a little bit uh, nerve wracking. So he took the time off from Sony to the players. So that was two months. And then when he came back, he wasn't good. I mean, he just, he just wasn't playing well. He was making cuts. He was finishing like 30th to 60th. This was his best finish, Sia, and he gained across the board at the PGA Championship. So is there a little bit of hope that what we're seeing from Webb moving forward is closer to what we are used to seeing from Webb? So a couple things here. We don't have enough of a sample size to say, oh, yeah, this is definitely you know indicating that that he's, he's definitely on the rise. But I will say this. I... I don't know if you noticed this, Rick, but he looked so spry, uh, especially on Saturday and Sunday. Like where, you know, he, he let's say he made a long putt and he just kind of like like galloped to the ball and picked it up real quick. And and, and I'm not saying that that's not um, like that means he's not injured. I'm just saying like he felt it, it felt like he was like, man, I, like I'm back now. Like I, I feel I'm feeling really good. And, and I, I, that to me speaks to he's got confidence in his health. So if the question is, is he back or is he not back? I'm falling in the camp of he is back, even though we don't have a ton of evidence to support that. I don't know if he's back or not. I'm trying to share my screen here. So this is uh, rickrungood.com. So um, I don't know if he's back, but I will say when I see a stat profile like this, which is not a lot of good play, um, not a lot of horrible play either. I mean, it's just the fact that he hasn't been putting well is kind of, I guess at least a little bit encouraging, but when I see this first sign of return, right, which is like, okay, he gained across the board. I am much more willing to try to be early and say, okay, I'll, I'll go now. Like, let me try to catch Webb right now this week on a course that asks for more accuracy than distance. Uh, let me try to be early now. And if he goes back to, I don't know what we saw at the RBC heritage and he doesn't putt well and he finishes 59th. I don't feel that bad about it, but what's going to happen is if he wins this, now we're going to have a lot of different conversations about web and I'd rather be early than late. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I don't know how much web I'm going to have in DFS this week, but I'll definitely speculate a little bit on him because I agree with you that this is a situation in, and this is a, another thing we talked about yesterday was let's say Bryson plays. 
Like it's too early to go in on Bryson. I don't want to be that guy that's like, oh, I want to be early on Bryson because there's just no evidence that, that that's going to work out. But with Webb, you can still be early from an ownership percentage standpoint, and it can definitely work out in your favor. This is uh, this is a stat profile that is um, like reminiscent of like Honor Bon Lahiri finding something, of Davis Riley finding something. The the other thing is that Webb is historically a much better player than both of those guys. So it's mm-hmm. it's at least a little bit something uh, to be optimistic about. Let's continue this conversation uh, with props. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into prize picks. We're going to look at that board. We are going to offer up four props for round one. Uh, The coach you're looking for is Rick. There's a link in the description. You can sign up. You can get all situated. We are going to jump into those on the other side. Big news. I recently launched RunGoodProps.com, which is the ultimate prize picks assistant. It allows you to quickly reference hundreds of props across a bunch of different sports to determine which are the biggest favorites. Then you take those over to prize picks to build entries where you actually have an edge. That's right. Since prize picks treats every prop like it's even money and with guaranteed payouts, the expected value calculator literally shows you that you have an advantage by going through this process this is the way to make the most money on prop entries if you're playing on prize picks and not using rungoodprops.com you're leaving money on the table rungoodprops.com to sign up you won't regret it let's prop it like it's hot here see we've got four props over at prize picks for round one so what is currently available right now strokes birdies are better greens and regulation fairways hit And they've been doing this since last week. They're calling it birdies or better matchup, which I have a lot of thoughts about this. (laughs) There are, so these are basically head to head matchups, but the winner is the one who makes more birdies or better. So for example, there is one that is Scotty Scheffler versus Victor Hovland. And the line is set at zero. So if you think Scotty is going to make more birdies or better than Victor Hovland in round one, you take the over. If you believe Victor Hovland is going to make more birdies or better than Scotty Scheffler, you take the under. That's how those work. Now, a couple of things on this, Sia. I applaud prize picks for being um, very innovative. Yeah, yes. creative, right? So this is this is dangerously close to a head-to-head matchup that you would get offered by a sports book that they are probably not legally allowed to do. There is right. also the holes played prop that they had last week, which is essentially to make the cut wagers, which they are probably not allowed to do. This is, I'll, I'll give it to them. It's pretty genius. I love it. Uh, so you, uh, some people know I, I'm an attorney sort of by trade, or at least I've practiced for, for some time. This is the, this is what attorneys do. I mean, it, it's, it, it truly is, you know, you have your creative team at prize picks and they're like, well, we want to do this, but we can't do this. And, and the attorney on staff, you know, in-house counsel says, all right, well, let's figure out how we can do this. And, and frankly, this is perfectly legal. It's perfectly appropriate. Yes. It, yeah. it simulates gambling to some degree, but you can make the same argument about DFS and a lot of other things. So this is towing the line in the same way that so many other things that we currently do are also towing the line. So I, I, it, I don't have a problem with it from a quote legal standpoint. Um, I think it's super creative. 
creative and innovative, uh, Rick. And I, I assume they're going to have more offerings in this regard in the future. Well, that's what I love about this is you can really kind of get you if you can get creative, you can do a lot of stuff. It's like when they used to have uh, instead of strokes, they used to call it fantasy score. But the way that you earned fantasy points was to take one stroke and you would get one point for that. So it was literally equivalent to strokes. But they were like, oh, no, that's fantasy score. This is completely different. It's something it's something completely else, which I love. Um, all right, Armina, uh, release the props, please. Let's see. There they are. All right. So see, we've got four props for rounds one over at prize picks for this week's Charles, Charles Schwab challenge. You have honed in on the greens in regulation props. Start by giving us your first one, please. So I'll go Tommy Fleetwood over 11 and a half greens in regulation. And, and Rick, the, the real, the big ticket item there is just how good Tommy Fleetwood has been. Yeah. particularly and granted we, we don't have a huge sample size of him uh having you know being great on both approach and off the tee at the same time but he is continuing to gain with the ball striking and particularly on approach so he i mean he gained 4.72 on approach last week 2.06 the, the week prior and he's just been very solid on approach where we didn't really see that from him let's say you know five six months ago so i'm very encouraged by that um, we could talk about the short game play, but again, that's not going to come in with the, the greens in regulation. I just think off the tee, being a positional course, he's going to keep it in the fairway and he's going to hit the green more often than not. Yeah, Armina, I'm going to try to steal this back here. Let's see if this works. There we go. Okay, so um, yeah, look at these look at these approach numbers the last couple of weeks. First of all, he gained across the board at the PGA Championship, but gained nearly five strokes on approach. He gained at the Byron Nelson. He gained at the RBC Heritage. He gained at the match play. So he's gained on approach in six of seven measured events. I'll, I'll give it up. Tommy's been, Tommy's been very, very good. And what we saw him do at the PGA championship, you're going to get similar sized greens this week, but they're not going to be as repelling as the greens were at, um, mm -hmm. at Southern Hills. They're going to be a little bit more receptive and see, as you, uh, as you might know, when you start doing the greens in regulation props, uh, and you see guys on the fringe or very close, it's like, yeah, it's such a sweat. It's such a sweat. Yeah. Um, and side note there, uh, he was T4 or tied for fourth in the um, in terms of hitting greens in regulation last week at the PGA Championship. Love it. Uh, I'm going Sung JM under 68 strokes. So this is kind of a weird situation where Sung Jay withdrew from the PGA Championship, withdrew from the KPGA event the week prior to that because um, he tested positive for COVID. But if if you get good version of Sung Jay, which is what we've been seeing, uh, especially in the ball striking categories, like that's only two under par, right? 68 is two under. Um, his, his metrics were great at the Masters. His metrics were great at Heritage. He finished 14th at the Zurich Classic with Ben on. I think just because we haven't seen Sung Jay, I think this, this prop is a little bit off because there's a lot of questions, but he's been out there swinging. He's been posting it on Instagram. He's getting the game in shape. Like I'm, I'm not worried about any rust from Sungjae. Yeah, I hear you on that. I mean, I think, I think it's maybe a little bit of a leap of faith just because we haven't seen him, but it does set up really nicely for Sungjae. So if he is, you know, if he's out there on, I guess today and Wednesday and, and he, and he's doing his thing and there doesn't look to be any issue. Um, I kind of love this. So I, I, I'm all aboard. Uh, back to another green regulation prop for UC, and this is for Max Homa, who I, I love. I'm in. Like I'm in. Give me the next six months of Max Homa. I'm a buyer. Yeah, I hear you. So uh, you know, Tommy Fleetwood's was 11 and a half. I think if it was 12 and a half, I would have been a little shy about it. But Max Homa's being 12 and a half, I'm not shy about. I mean, 
so the thing with Max Homa as of late, what, what's sort of plagued him is that around the green game, which of course is not going to come into play when it comes to hitting over 12 and a half uh, greens in regulation. I mean, look at this as we look at it on YouTube, look at this off the tee and approach game. I mean, he's gained ball striking eight tournaments in a row and it's not just like, yeah, he's kind of gained here, kind of gained there. I mean, look at the approach play 6.93, 4.26. We go down a little bit, 3.35, 3.94, 5.70. I mean, he is absolutely dominating on approach and that's the exact type of thing you are going to need here to pepper over 12 and a half greens in regulation that stretch that you refer to he is statistically an equivalent ball striker of victor hovland that that is how good he's been and no real signs of that slowing down i could not um i couldn't resist one of these birdie or better matchups see ya i i, I i'm in on this so i took jt under zero birdies or better in a matchup against sam burns so essentially burns to make more birdies or better than JT in round one. Number one, Sam Burns is a great birdie maker. He might give it back with bogeys. Doesn't matter here, right? I don't care. Go out and make yourself some birdies. If we are going to see any hangover effects, you will see them in rounds one. So I think this is a nice little opportunity. I think if JT plays, plays great this week, but I think this is a little opportunity to kind of steal one from him. I agree about the spike potential of Sam Burns. In fact, I like him quite a bit in uh, DFS, in spite of the fact that he can sometimes be erratic on approach, but you're able to sort of, you know, play that Justin Thomas narrative into this matchup as well. But either way, uh, if that narrative didn't exist, I don't mind this play for Sam Burns. So I'm, I'm all aboard here too. Sam Burns is definitely going to be in a decent amount of my DFS lineups as well. Thomas under zero birdies or better matchup. Sung JM under 68 strokes. Max Homa over 12 and a half greens in regulation. Tommy Fleetwood over 11 and a half greens in regulation. Round one, prize picks, props. The code is Rick. The link is in the description. We've got to get to matchups. We've got to get to one and done selections. We are going to do both of those things after this break. If you're not playing daily fantasy on prize picks, then you're not really playing daily fantasy. They offer nothing but props and they do it better than anyone else. You pick two to five players on an over under and can win up to 10 times on any entry. They allow mixed sport entries, meaning you can take the over on LeBron James and the under on John Rahm. The golf specific props are amazing. Birdies or better, fairways hit, greens in regulation, round score, and now, yes, single hole props that's right what score will a golfer make on a specific hole i have prize pick specific tools on my website to help you build the best entries and now prize picks is offering a 100 instant deposit match up to 100 just use the code rick at sign up or click the link in the description that's code rick good luck okay see ya. before we jump into the matchups for this week um what's your what is your favorite DraftKings contest to play in. We have you on mute. I apologize. I'll basically play most of the single entries that are between like, let's say $12 and, and 100. Sometimes I'll dip into like the 200 single entry, but yeah, I, I like the 30, the, the $33 single entries are, are two of the ones I click first. Like we, you know, I've already kind of entered those. 
So I don't know the names of them, Rick, but. Oh, I don't know the names either. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the two, there's usually two 33 single entry contests that that I click right away. One has a bigger um, prize pool than the others. And then I'll do like, I'll eat up the $12 ones, maybe a few of the $15 three max, and then I'll go to the uh, 100 SEs and the maybe yeah. sometimes the 200 SE. But I'll tell you this, Rick, I, I play a lot more cash games now than I used to. And it's really been profitable in the sense of maintaining my bankroll when I crash and burn with some of the tournaments. Which is certainly possible when, uh, okay. So last week I had, I think it was in the, it was either in the hundred or the 33. Uh, cause I also like the single entry ones where, um, oh crap. it was, it was Zalatoris, Davis, Riley, Mito Pereira. So first of all, I'm like rocking and rolling already. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then it was Luke list, Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland. And when you look at a lineup that is being dragged down by Colin Morikawa and Victor Hovland, and you've got Mito at the top. Now it didn't end up. I mean, when when it was Zalatoris and Mito tied for the lead, and Davis Riley was right there. JT kind of snuck up and stole the thing. But don't you just hate it when your most expensive best guys are the ones that are underperforming? Yeah, that was also me last week because because of sort of the wave stack and some of the guys that I liked. I also had a lot of Zalatoris. I had a lot of Mito, and I had a little bit of Cameron Young. And they were, you know, going into Sunday, I was like, well, all I need for, you know, this is, I'm talking about referring to more than one lineup, but all I need is Jordan Spieth and or Rory McIlroy to make a charge, not only make birdies, but, you know, finish in the top 10, for example. And those were the guys that ultimately held me back on Saturday and Sunday. It's 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 really interesting. And it kind of speaks to something we talk about sometimes when we do our DFS show that it's not always the guys at the top that are going to that are going to bring you home. You don't always have to play those guys there. If you want to build a balanced lineup and start in the 9K or the you know upper 9K range and then you just go with 8K guys and maybe one 7K guy that that's perfectly acceptable in this day and age where you have so much talent that is just under that elite tier. The optimal lineup last week, Justin Thomas, Will Zalatoris, Cam Young, Mito Pereira, Tommy Fleetwood, Chris Kirk, very reasonable. I mean, the, the, top, reasonable. the top four alone I had in uh, like spread out over a lot of single entries, JT, Zalatoris, Young, Mito, uh, and you could, and Fleetwood has been great. And Chris Kirk's been like, I'm, I'm actually a little bit surprised nobody had it. It left 1600 on the table, which is probably why nobody had it, but that is about as reasonable as you can get. Yeah, it, it's almost shocking that nobody had that when you consider some of these big contests. I, I Listen, Kirk at 6,900 last week, if you just looked at his ball striking, it was so good. And the putter was kind of off and on. The around the green game was fine with Kirk. He made so much sense. Uh, you know, Fleetwood, I didn't play last week. I kind of wish I did. But yeah, that lineup is, yeah, that's the thing. When you make some lineups, if it makes sense to you, play it doesn't matter if there's granted you don't want to leave 1600 on the table typically but the point is if the lineup makes sense to you don't change it because you have 600 left just roll with that lineup that already made sense to you just roll with it uh head-to-head -head matchups andy and i last week were both two and three so see you and i are going to beat that this week uh first matchup abraham answer versus taylor gooch we are in a consensus on this one who have we chosen yeah, we've chosen Taylor Gooch. This one was really close. I was so close to choosing Abraham Answer. Um, I ended up going with Gooch just because I, I think we're finally starting to, well, I, I shouldn't say we're finally starting to see, other than the AT&T Byron Nelson. He's been really good. He's been a top 25 machine. I think Answer is kind of a, like a safe-ish play when it comes to DFS or maybe fitting him into like the top 40 or top 20 market. But I think Gooch has a little bit more upside. And so that's what I chose to go with here. But I got to tell you, the margins were super close here. 
Yeah, I, I'm just not, I don't know, man. I'm not really a buyer on answer. I'm not really a buyer on fee. Now, these are just guys that I, not red flags, but I just see like a lot of yellow flags with. I think this is a better spot for answer than it is for fee now, obviously with the way that they play and and having to play out of the fairway being so so critical at Colonial. But uh, yeah, Gucci said, he said like one bad start in a long time. So I'm willing yeah. to cut him some slack uh, and say Gooch gets gets right back at it. Daniel Berger versus Tommy Fleetwood. This on paper, I think, is very easy to just take Tommy Fleetwood, which is mm -hmm. what we have both done. Mm -hmm. But we've got to talk about Berger here. Um, here's his metrics, Sia. For a guy who was one of the best approach players for a year to have done this, minus two at the players, minus five at the match play, minus three at the at the Masters, hit it well at the RBC Heritage, loses another three on approach at the PGA Championship. What do we even make of this? So let's not forget, and I'm trying to remember when it started. It was three or four months ago where we started to hear, you know, Berger, I think, was withdrawing from a tournament or two. And, and again, this is very recent history, so I'm sorry I forgot. But I guess he had the, the rib injury, and then maybe he also had a wrist injury, but he was dealing with some things. And we know how golf works, right? We, we don't find about we don't find out about like a Harris English back injury until after he's good again last year. And he's like, oh, he's, he just casually references it. Oh, yeah. You know so, those six tournaments I stunk? I had a back injury. Yeah. So sorry for all your, you know, ball striking metrics about me, but uh, it turns out like I wasn't going to be able to hit the ball flush at all. So th that's the thing with Berger. I think maybe he's still trying to work through something and we just kind of don't know it yet. And he's just trying to tough it out, if you will, as opposed to take a month or two off. Uh, again, that's highly speculative, but I don't know how to explain this. We know we have a recent injury that he was dealing with that took him out of a couple of tournaments, a, a pre-tournament withdrawal. And we know he's been pretty bad ever since. So I'm just trying to put two and two together here. We are both on Tommy Fleetwood. Um, and I will keep a close eye on Daniel Berger and see what happens. Uh, next up, Sam Burns versus Max Homa. This is where we split. There will be blood here. Sia, what side would you like? Yeah, I guess give me Sam Burns. This was another close one. I really like both of these guys. And, and I think, again, I keep referring to DFS, but I think you can start a lineup if you want to with both of these guys. I think they're like 9,700 and 9,400 respectively. But I like them both. I just think the upside with Sam Burns is a little more. I think these guys both cruise through the cut. I think they're great ball strikers. Max Home has certainly been a little bit more consistent, particularly with the ball striking and on approach. But again, it's Sam Burns and just weighing Sam Burns versus Max Homa. I think Burns has a little bit more win potential. And so that's kind of what I'm working with here. Yeah, these are two of my guys. Uh, Producer Mina put me in a blender trying to decide between, between these two. Um, I opted for Max Homa. Again, the ball striking numbers are insane. He is putting well. He's playing with a lot of confidence. The trajectory for Max Homa for four years has been nothing but up and to the right incremental improvement seemingly week in and week out. I think this is what, like, you know, you look at some of the spots that he's won. I mean, TPC Potomac was pretty demanding off the tee. This is not going to be that demanding, but listen, you're, you're going to have to find the fairway and the worst part of Homa's game around the green. We're going to talk about it in a second with Victor Hovland. I don't think it matters that much this week. I think there's a yeah. lot of easy spots. I think you can get around just fine. Jason Kokrak won this losing two strokes around the green last year. So not so worried about that. Uh, give me Homa here. And it's it's worth noting that even though Sam Burns is more expensive than Max Homa in DraftKings, 
they're actually flipped when it comes to the odds board. I'm seeing Max Home at 30 to 1 as an outright winner and Sam Burns as 35 to 1. Although, let me double check that. No, 25 to 1 versus 30 to 1. So yeah, Max Home is still the favorite, but he's um, you know, 5 points better than the guy who's more expensive than him in DraftKings. Couple of big boppers here. Uh Will Zalatoris versus Victor Hovland is next. I have no problem going back to Zalatoris here, but I have opted for Victor. And uh, Sia, if you know me, I bet on Victor every single week. It's just part of my card. So I don't always necessarily have to say, oh, this is a good or bad week for Victor Hovland. I think this is a good week for him. I, I think this is a course that should magnify his strengths and should kind of eliminate his weaknesses. Like they're the, the bunkers are very easy to get out of. The thick rough around the green is good for guys that are not great around the greens, which Victor will tell you he's he's not, and that the rough stuff is is better for him. I think it's a great spot for him. It's a great spot for him. I mean, he might actually make an appearance later on before this show is out. I, I you Listen, I mean, I, I could speak to the approach numbers, but everybody knows he's a great ball striker, especially with approach where he's gained seven in a row. But if you go back even further, it's not like – then there's like three bad ball striking before the seven I just referenced. Like he's constantly gaining on approach. You're right. The around the green game, which you pointed out, Rick, wasn't even that bad last week at the PGA Championship. He oh, actually yes, gained the guy the who green. was supposed to chip himself out of a major didn't chip himself out of a major. It was actually better than field average. Interesting. Interesting. See ya. Yeah, well, you know, by the way, what's funny, I, 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 if you recall my like best bet that we did on on one of the the preview shows for the PGA Championship was Jordan Spieth over Victor Hovland, and I really didn't give him too much of a hard time around the green. I just like Jordan Spieth so much, but Jordan Spieth barely edged out Victor Hovland. They they finished plus four, and then Hovland ended up being plus five. So. Uh, that was certainly a sweat, but yeah, I um I like Victor Hovland a lot. I, I think we might be reintroduced to Victor Hovland. I feel like every few months we sort of forget about either Colin Morikawa or Victor Hovland, and then we're like, oh yeah, they're so good because they win a tournament or do something incredible. Uh, Star Lord's dad says Victor's putting was horrible last week. No, um, it wasn't. I would I would like to have a horrible putter that is basically field average minus 0.18 not even a quarter of a stroke over four rounds and he's uh historically a very good putter that is that there are a lot of arguments you could make statistically against victor that is not one of them so what that person saw was victor hovland's round three he clearly just watched saturday's <laughs> coverage because that round he actually lost three strokes putting and then he lost he was a he was a small loser around round four minus 0.58 but rounds one and two he gained over combined he gained well over three strokes so again he, he was a horrible putter on saturday every other day he was pretty great Victor is going to win this. I'm like kind of, kind of sure about it. As, as sure as I can be on a Tuesday morning with eight top 20 players in the world and golf being as random as it is, I'm as sure as I can be in that, in that moment. Well, I'm glad you prefaced it with that because golf is super weird, but I, I agree with you. I, I think I, I, I don't want to say this is Victor Hovland's tournament to win, but I do like Victor Hovland a lot. Breaking news. Ooh. Can I guess? Bryson I knew it. Well, I knew it. I, I was going to guess that. I swear, he's Bryson DeChambeau has withdrawn from the tournament. Bryson DeChambeau has withdrawn from the Charles Schwab Challenge, uh, dealing with lingering wrist slash hand surgery. I think it's actually wrist surgery, but they go in through the hand, which ooh gives me the skeevies. See, that is. I, I'm not. A, I'm not good with blood. I'm not good with needles. I'm not good with any of that stuff. Uh, not, not great. We're in the same camp there. I'm not good with that stuff either at all. 
I had my gallbladder removed and uh, the, the terrifying part was like, like just knock me out already. Like, I don't want to be, the worst part was like giving me the anesthesia, mm -hmm. like, not like everything that comes yeah, after. I get it. it. Uh, okay. So Bryson's out, which we knew was possible. Mm -hmm. And, and we talked about this as well. Like <clears throat> he went to Southern Hills and played three practice rounds. Uh, this is basically at home for him. This is a home game for him. He lives in Dallas. So there was no risk to him at least trying. Now, I don't know if he was on site this week, but this is an earlier WD than we saw from the PGA Championship. So mm -hmm. now we are back towards maybe the next time we see Bryson being the Memorial, which would be next week. Right. Uh, which I tend to think he's not going to play that one either. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm just speculating, of course, but I think maybe it, it's time for him to maybe not practice for a couple weeks, you know, and just kind of shut it down and just let things heal and then resume practice in, in two to three weeks. Because, I, you know, again, I'm not a doctor, but like the more you're practicing, the more you're trying it out, the more you're potentially aggravating, you know, this sort of precise wrist slash hand injury. And uh, it just seems to me that, hey, let, let's just check out for a few weeks and then, and then reevaluate uh armina just sent me a message on slack she said i am a doctor and i agree so <laughs> you've got an endorsement there um nice i had something else about this oh do you want to wildly speculate yes if, if, we're, if we're going to wildly speculate there's a great little it. conspiracy theory going around right now with bubba watson so mm -hmm. bubba watson tweeted out uh, i guess after the pga championship either i think it was monday uh that he has a torn meniscus and he's going to be out four to six weeks which is like in line with the live golf event so it would basically mm -hmm. be like oh yeah oh you shot a 63 or whatever at the pga championship on a torn meniscus and now you're just out for four to six weeks with injury it's not like hey i played my big major championship and now i'm going to come back and the next time you ever see me is going to be in london at this live golf event what do you think about that little conspiracy? I think it's it's a decent theory. And I think if you have a torn meniscus and you're putting that much sort of torque and pressure on your knee, I think we'd probably see him grimace here and there. You know, at some point in rounds one, two, three, and especially four, I think we would probably see something, you know, evidencing a torn meniscus. I mean, it's not like I mean it's not necessarily a slight injury unless it's a very slight tear. Again, that that's that the meniscus thing sounded super weird to me. As well as he played and as healthy as he looked, it sounded super weird to me. All right. See, so is in on this conspiracy theory. I love it. Um, final matchup. The biggest boys in the field. Justin Thomas, Scotty Scheffler. Uh, Scotty missed the cut to PGA championship. Obviously, Justin Thomas won it. Quite different results. You have opted to go right back to JT, Sia. Uh, I have not, I've opted for Scotty Scheffler here. So let's, let's make the case for JT. So this is more of a play on just the, I'm in the sort of anti psychology camp in terms of like JT is just not going to be the regular JT after a major win. And I think he is now that doesn't mean he's necessarily going to beat Scotty Scheffler. Maybe in the back of my mind, I wanted to be a little different from you, Rick, because we agreed on so much, but <laughs> honestly, I, I think it's a coin flip between these guys. We know Scotty Scheffler's history here. Isn't great. Uh, we know he's coming in, obviously he's coming in good form, but you know, he didn't play great last week, even though he was in the bad wave and JT has been really great. I mean, if you're, if you're just sizing up the metrics, I mean, JT is certainly comparable to Scotty Scheffler. And so if oh, we're looking at yeah. histories and things of that nature, 
Uh, I, I think JT's a fine play here over Scotty. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the fact that JT only has one win this year is just silliness. But yes. at least he's got one. Um, I'm just trying to buy low here. I, I, I think that Scotty's miscut last week, as you mentioned, was on the wrong side of it. This is about as good of a miscut as you can get. I mean, mm -hmm. looking at the advanced metric, so he gains two and a half strokes on approach in two rounds. He loses one off the tee, less than one around the green, and one with the putter. I could not script a better missed cut from a top-tier player that I could just forget about. Like, that's what it would yeah. look like. Yeah, I agree. I think the one thing in JT's camp, if we're looking at super recent history, I mean, obviously on approach, these guys can both lead, both absolutely spike and absolutely crush it. But JT's putter has been really good. Uh, yeah. You know, not not just last week where he gained over six strokes, but you know, over three the week before that. He was a gainer the week before that. Over you know, almost three the week before that. So maybe he's found something there. And Scotty can be a great putter too. But if I'm going to give somebody the edge when it comes to recent history and the putter, I'd give that edge to JT. Well, our friend and colleague, uh, Greg Ducharme, has been all over this because uh, JT made a putter switch. It's got a longer neck. It's a little bit different. And it basically aligned directly with this great putting stuff. And when JT starts rolling balls in the cut, like that's that's basically why I'm so surprised he hadn't won before this, is he played so well. He had these great putting weeks. It just hadn't resulted in a win. And then he kind of steals one that maybe he shouldn't have won, right, with that, with like the percentage, the probability of, of coming from seven shots back it's well deserved but it's just shocking that that was the first one yeah i i agree and you know it, again the, the history here is better than scotty's which doesn't mean much it's only two years of history but he does have a top 10 here in 2020 so it's something to be said for that I'll take Scheffler. See, it takes JT. One and done. Uh, quick update for those keeping track at home last week andy had jordan spieth i had hideki matsuyama spieth got 61,607. Hideki got 26,125, basically nothing for either of us. Uh, 4.2 million for Andy, although I'm charging $3 million for me. We've got, I think, 12 or 13 events to go. I have Andy's selection for this week, Sia, uh, but I want to talk through kind of strategy here because we are in the last, I guess, like third of the season, which I think for most people who are listening, the biggest advice is to play your position, right? Like if you are front running, front run, take the favorites, don't do anything stupid. If you have to make up ground, get a little creative, find a high ceiling golfer. So I believe we are at the point where playing your position is, is almost more important than playing your player. Yeah. I mean, if you're trying to win, you, you can't take sort of the obvious guy that you know the, the, the leader also has left. So, you know, in the first cut one and done where I'm doing laughably bad, it, it's it's one of those things where, you know, there was like a three week stretch where I was just trying to be different. And, you know, I, I ended up picking the wrong guy, but I didn't really care because I was coming from a place where like I kind of had to be a little bit different. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with the sentiment there. When you're behind and I've and I've got I've got entries that are like this, too. It, it, you take the risk of getting more behind because you're taking right. guys that are the second tier down, but that's kind of like to, to, to bring on great rewards, you must take on great risk. Right. I mean, it's like kind of, it's kind of the deal. Um, I think objectively and correct me if, if, if I'm wrong here, cause I like who you've gone with, but I think objectively the play is Jordan Spieth. Mm -hmm. Like if I you, agree. if you had everyone available, uh, you have a guy who's one 
in his last three starts, has a runner-up finish in his last three starts, and has dominated at the course you are going to. I think in a vacuum, Jordan Spieth is the guy. Is the history here for Jordan comparable to what we might see with like Webb at Wyndham? Because this is absurd what he's doing here. It is absurd. Um, I could look it up. It's pretty, it's, it's gotta be pretty close. Like there's, there's some other ones like Hideki at Phoenix for a while was really good. Um, I'm trying to think, I mean, even like Spieth at, at, at the masters, Charlie Hoffman in San Antonio. Those are like the elite of the elite course histories. And this, Mm -hmm. this definitely falls into that category. Yeah. And you, you brought up a stat earlier this week when you were talking about how Spieth does with the putter on this course too, because we know the downfall for Spieth as of late has been the putter and it's been kind of really, really bad, but his history here with the putter, correct me if I'm wrong, is pretty great, right? Yeah. It's his actually, it's his, it's his best putting course. Um, He's, he's gained more strokes putting at colonial than anywhere else. And you can see that's kind of the one aspect that he's been missing. Also, uh, we did the first cut earlier, and Kyle uh, Porter made an interesting comment about if you just flipped these results, if you flipped the PGA Championship and the Byron Nelson, and he went win 34th runner-up finish, mm-hmm. people would be foaming at the mouth to get access to Jordan Spieth this week, which I'm not – maybe they are, but not as not as crazy. Yeah, I agree with that. So in a vacuum, I think it's Jordan Spieth, which let me tell you uh, is who I picked this week because I have him available. So <laughs> so I went with I went with Jordan Spieth. Andy went with Webb Simpson, who we talked about earlier. Uh, and Sia, you have chosen who for this week? I've chosen Victor Hopwood. Uh, again, it, it, he's one of the best in the world. He's a great ball striker. The around the green game isn't going to be a big issue with him. Yeah, he excels in pretty much every other area. I just I think Victor Hovland is is a great play. I expect him to be there down the stretch on Sunday. So do I. So do I. That thick stuff around the greens. If he does miss greens, it's it's easier to get up and down from. And of course, I say this now. Like, watch he'll he'll gain a quarter of a stroke at Southern Hills around the green, and he'll lose like three here. And I'll be like, oh crap, that stunk. But uh, I agree with you, man. Victor is. Uh, I think this is one of the better spots for him, and a lot of spots set up well for him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Spieth for myself. Andy has gone with Webb Simpson. Sia Najad has gone with Victor Hovland. That is the one and done for this week. Sia, any final thoughts before we get out of here? This is I think this is gonna be a fun one, dude. I think we're I think we're rocking and rolling. That's the thing. I think there is a little like misconception about what this tournament is because it's the week after a major. Just look at the roster, look at the lineup of guys that are playing here. This is a real big time tournament. It's a super talented field. And from a DFS embedding standpoint, I think there's a lot to look forward to. Like whether you're looking at the top 40 market or top 20 market or in DFS, like there's so many sort of different pivots. There's probably going to be a lot of flat ownership sort of across the board because there's so many popular guys, for example, in the 7K range, in the 9K range. Um, It's you can kind of do what you want. And I think it's going to be really, really interesting. Here's this five week stretch that we're in PGA Championship. This field at Colonial next week is the Memorial, which is a $12 million purse that you know is going to get a lot of big names. Then we go back to Canada for the Canadian Open for the first time in two years in which Rory has just committed to. Um, And then we go to the U.S. Open at Brookline. Like this this five-week stretch is so strong. Yeah. No, it's this is like – 
this is like the stretch like and, and by the way after that it's not like it falls off a cliff either i mean there's so much to look forward to just in the next like two to three months when it comes to golf not i mean and that's the beauty of golf right it's a year-round sport there's i mean there's very few times i mean obviously like around you know christmas time or december it's it's pretty flat but even in the swing season i certainly have fun but basically from i don't know february to i don't know september it is on it is completely it's go zone rick it is go zone it's go zone baby it's go zone. <laughs> uh all right a lot of fun uh big thanks to producer mina on the ones and twos sia najad fun as always can be found on twitter at sia najad you can find me at rick run good back for another scramble friday 12 p.m eastern time rick run good youtube channel but until then good luck <laughs>